Welcome to another chapter of In the Keep Podcast. I'm your very own prophet of the drowned god, the Motherlode. This show is all about the world of arena first-person shooters, classic FPS games, their legacies, their lineage, and the people who keep that world turning. These are the players, the developers, the streamers, the influencers. It is the will of the drowned god, Cathala, that our communities band together in her cathedral to frag and give one another into oblivion for all eternity. First of all, we want to thank all of our supporters, everyone who does anything for the keep, and especially those who have donated their hard-earned money towards our goal, which currently is to save up about 400 bucks to get you guys some sweet-ass t-shirts. Everyone who donates will receive a t-shirt, and those who don't, well, you'll have the option to purchase one after they have been uh, printed and are available. So, say thanks, first of all, to Dots, uh, to Moose, to Larissa, to Nabe, Paul, Brandflakes. All of these people have been absolutely incredible and donated some of their hard-earned money towards the goal. We appreciate that. And again, all donations on Patreon, PayPal, or through the Amazon affiliate link, which is really cool if you haven't tried that out, uh, go towards helping out the community and getting you guys what you need, production for the streams, for this podcast, for everything, all that good stuff. I uh, noticed someone actually bought a Zoe, uh, BenQ Zoe monitor, like a really, really nice monitor through Amazon, and we got a pretty nice kickback for that, so I want to say thanks. Thank you so much. You guys are incredible. Whew. So before I get into talking about the interview itself, I want to preface it with a couple of things. First of all, we're talking to Devastation, a Triple Crown winner at QuakeCon this past year, one of the greatest Doom 2 players of all time, and just a, an absolutely phenomenal guy to talk to. You'll get to hear him uh, describe every little detail of it throughout the interview, which is a pretty good one. I really, really enjoy talking to him. But I will say that... During the course of this interview, and actually also the previous interview with Shazik, my AC was uh, completely busted, and I live in southern Arizona, and it's hot as balls here, man. So I had my ceiling fan on, and you can kind of hear it in the background as I'm speaking. I'm real freaking sorry for that, but this is the last time that it will bother you uh, this episode. So after this, AC is already fixed. No more ceiling fan. Shouldn't be an issue in the future. But, you know, shit happens. It's really not that bad. But if it drives you up a wall, I understand. Also, this interview was recorded the day before Hurricane Dorian hit Nova Scotia, which is where Devastation lives, and thank God he made it through. Everything's fine, but to anyone who was affected by Hurricane Dorian, God, I hope you guys are okay. I hope your family's okay. Music this week is once again by Igrak Simon. Check him out on YouTube, and with all that said, let's get in the key. Devastation Felix, and I'm a Doom 2 player. That almost sounds like you're a dating website. Like you're, This is my dating profile. <laughs> I enjoy wa- long walks on the beach and uh, fragging imps, and you know, that's just what I do. I enjoy I enjoy uh, fast pickups of the super shotgun, followed by some uh, spawn whoring. Yes. <laughs> so, I've been reading through the Doom Bible again today, 
just to kind of like brush up on it. So when I first met you, I really didn't know who you were. I'll be completely honest. And, but Bones was like, you have to talk to this guy. So I did. And while you were playing in the tournament at QuakeCon, I was sitting there in between matches, like reading it on my phone. And I was slowly, as I was watching the games, like picking up on like, oh, shit, I really didn't understand Doom at all. It always seems so simple to me, but it's far more complex. And I think you're the perfect person to kind of explain that in a lot of ways. I think a lot of games are, are like that, where as a spectator, you're, you're spectating the game. And the premise of the game is, is very simple. And most games are very simple. Doom, you kill your opponent more than they kill you. Great, you win the game. Perfect. The, the premise is simple. And then you start to learn a bit more like, oh, okay, you get weapons and certain people use certain weapons over others and they perceive some sort of advantage. But when you get into the more higher levels and as people start to really study the game and look for advantages over their opponents, there's all these little tiny things, not only in the game engine, but in the thought process of a player that you're trying to do to get that edge. So I, I try to break it down into, okay, there's the psychological bit of me against my opponent and understanding what they're doing what they're thinking, why they're thinking it, and what their skill set is. And then the other aspect of it is actually the, the game skills. So such as, you know, moving better and faster than your opponent. Better meaning you hit less walls, you take um, better angles around corners, you take more optimal paths than your opponent. Uh, aiming. So I should be able to hit my opponent more than they hit me. Game positioning. It's, it's not just about Shooting, like, okay, uh, oh, well, that person can click better than the other person. That's not necessarily the case. I actually think I'm a poor clicker, pointer, and clicker at Doom, actually. It's about the positioning. So I don't go into a game thinking that I can just out-click or out-shoot my opponent, but I'm looking to create situations where I can make an advantage for myself so I can aim easier or look for situations where it's harder for my opponent to aim against me. So there's a whole lot of these little things, and we haven't even touched on sound yet, about the things you can hear and do and you can listen to and the psychological aspect. Right. If, I mean, I think anyone who's ever played a first-person shooter understands the concept of, like, listen for footsteps, make a decision based on that. Um, if they're not, I feel kind of sorry for them. We talked a bit with uh, Andrew Holschultz about that on the show because he made he makes soundtracks for games. I'm like, are you okay with the fact that, you, like, when people play Quake Champions, they shut that completely off? And he's like, yeah, I'm cool with that, but... It's a big part of it. You need to hear your opponent. For me, that's monumental. I, I think my, I have better hearing than I have eyes in a lot of ways. I absolutely yeah. agree with you, actually. It's funny. For a gamer, I actually had very poor eyesight reflexes, yeah. about uh, 200 milliseconds on my eyesight reflexes. And I think most gamers are, are at least 170 or kind of below in terms of the, their eyesight reflexes. And I think at a period of time, I might have increased it. But whenever I had my hearing tested, my hearing reflexes is like 120 or 130 milliseconds. So I react to sounds a lot better than, than visuals. And for me, in, in Doom, without sound, you just could not play. And the same thing with, with Quake or, or any game. Sound is just so important. It's interesting that you say that everybody knows to listen to footsteps. But it's the information you can gather from that, I think, is where people don't interpolate enough. Mm -hmm. So, oh, I'm listening to footsteps. That person is right there. Okay, that's that's like level one. That's your very basic. I can hear a footstep. I know where they're at. Level two or a bit higher is, oh, I hear those footsteps in this direction. Where are they going? Or if they're moving there. Then the next level is, 
why are they doing that? Why are they moving there? What are they thinking to want to move in this direction? Where do they think I am because of that? Right. And then there's the whole additional level of, okay, that's just me hearing my opponent. But as I'm playing, what can my opponent hear from me? What is my sound giving to my opponent? So that's kind of where you get a lot of that interaction. So in Doom, for example, when you're playing like me against Jaykist or or two top level players, you'll see that we're kind of like move a direction and we turn back or we, we're doing different things and it looks like we're just don't know what we're doing. Actually, we're producing sounds or we're moving in specific directions on purpose. So for example, if I may, if I jump down and make a <clears throat> sound and I'm running in a straight line, I know my opponent has heard that straight line. So I'm going to move back and change my direction. So I'm trying to make it sound like I'm going straight and only turn around after the sound is completed. Whereas if I had not, if I'm not thinking about that and I jump down, I'm going like a little partial way, but I start to turn around. The opponent hears me moving, stopping and turning around. They know I've turned around. Right. So it's producing sound to make your opponent think a certain thing. Uh, It happens all the time, especially in Quake World uh, or Quake 2. Like These two games have excellent sound design and you'll see people, for instance, on the map DM6. There's I love a, DM6. Yeah, there's a spot where you can jump down for out of the mega room into the main hallway. And a lot of people have mastered the trick of like if you just edge up there and hold back as you fall, you won't make any noise. Or vice versa, where you try to make that noise without actually having fallen or tapping down your staircase. Th- these really simple things, but if you can trick your opponent into thinking you're going a direction that you're not going or to thinking you're not where you are, obviously, I mean that that's not rocket science. But it takes a lot of players a long time to get to the point where they even have time to think about that, especially in fast-paced games like Quake and Doom. Yeah. Yeah. So, no, you go ahead. You had an idea. I know. I saw it on your face. (laughs) I was going to say, you're right. It's not rocket science. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people intuitively know they should be thinking or there's things they could do with that. Mm -hmm. But as you said, it takes a while. There's so many other skills to master first. That to get to that level, it's kind of like one of those last things on the list. Like you have to go through level one to get to level two, to get to level three, to level four. Very few people jump in a game right at level four. There's just too many other things to do. It's like riding a it's, bike um, with training wheels on it. You know? Yeah, riding a bike. Um, I take it from from chess as, as well and other things. Um, you have the conscious mind and the subconscious mind. Conscious mind is when you actually have to think about it to do something like, okay, I need to actively think about this to train it into my muscle memory, but only when it becomes subconscious and then you're just doing it without thinking, have you freed up that brain power to now think about something different and something else. That actually calls back to what you said about eyes and ears, because if you think about your body as if it were a computer, your eyes have to work a lot harder to transfer light energy and consolidate that into your brain as an idea, whereas sound is a an older, more streamlined event going into your brain. It's just percussion, sound waves absorbed into your eardrum, and then the nervous. I mean, not, I'm not saying it's simple, but it's simpler than eyes. Like on a, you know, you see these prehistoric fish with their big eyes, and you're imagining like them seeing in color like we do, and all that. I'm colorblind myself, so, but they they just saw light or not light, and that told them surface or down, and that's it. Yeah, I watched an interesting show about um, the evolution of the eyeball, actually, yeah. of how it how it became evolved and, um, you know, supposedly this creature. The first thing, as you said, all I could see was, was light and gave it enough advantage to know up and down over the rest. And then it evolved into these things that, that then evolved into other organisms. But 
that's an interesting point. I've never really thought about brain power of eyes versus brain power of sound. I just think about it as terms of things that you're focusing on in the game, right? Right. So, like smell. You know, I'm starting to play a bit of, uh, yeah, smell. <laughs> mm, smell good food, you know. Barbecue. I love barbecue. <laughs> you know, starting to play Quake Champions, there's tons of things for me to work on, but you need to focus on one, get it intuitive before you move on, on to the next, right? You can't possibly master all the things at once. You need to get good at a certain thing, make it muscle memory. You don't have to think about it anymore to then move on to the other thing to use your conscious thought on. I, I don't think I could have said that better. So that's why we brought you in. Uh, with with that said, though, another thing that you mentioned was the fact that aiming uh, and click time, reaction time kind of played into Doom. And you wrote extensively about this in your, your book. Or- ebook i don't know how you want to describe that essay um i don't the know Doom bible it, whatever. The, yeah. it's a bible ebook sure. anyway yeah and as as i was reading through that section i i was never aware of the the spread shot with a shotgun and how you guys aimed to the right and that was another one of those like aha moments as i was watching you guys play i know i could tell the difference between people who were doing that and people who weren't and and it was pretty obvious it's like jay kissed Every time he aims, it's like, I, I always just thought, okay, well, he's a really great player and he wins a lot of matches, but he kind of sucks at aiming, but I was completely wrong. <laughs> he's so good at aiming, he doesn't aim with his crosshair. Well, it's kind of funny because the crosshair is actually dead on. The crosshair is correct. So if you actually look at the sprite of the super shotgun, you'll see that the crosshair is a little bit to the left of it. But in the original Doom, we never had the crosshair. Right. So when I wrote that guide, for example, it, you... You know, everyone intuitively, all you had to go by was your your gun sprite that was on the screen, which was always, you know, off-centered uh, to the right. That's why you aim to the right of, of the player. But now that we have the crosshair, the crosshair is technically accurate. And um, the crosshair is, is kind of interesting. And uh, I know there's going to be some people ready to, to flame me on this one because some people vehemently disagree with me. And I always thought that subconscious aiming was better than conscious aiming. So for example, if I just heard something and instinctively moved my hand and fired, I would be more likely to hit the shot properly than if I was thinking about it and concentrated on moving the mouse and clicking the fire button. Again, and what I more brain power. What I feel yeah. Right. And what I feel the crosshair does is it continually refocuses your eyes. You're just like focus, focus, focus. So it keeps you conscious in the game. And you don't get a lot of those subconscious swing shots as much as you do. And um, so I did start using a crosshair for very a very specific reason. And my guy ties, but so I'll come back to that. But I had to train myself to when to look at the crosshair to fire to use it and when to not make sure I don't focus on the crosshair continually. So make sure it's out of my vision so it doesn't take me out of the... Um, the subconscious, the what I'm what I'm doing at the at that moment. So the the reason I do use it. So the Doom guy talks about the the clicking between firing. So for example, if my opponent fires, and let's say they miss their shot, and I'm right there, it makes no sense for me to fire instantly and try to hit them. I may make the shot, but I may not. It's just I'm going to try to make my shot. What I'd rather do is use the time while they're reloading to make sure I absolutely hit the shot perfectly. Because I'd rather take my time and hit the shot perfectly before they're finished reloading than fire directly after them and whiff the shot because that means they get another shot at me. 
So you'll see this in a lot of my games, and it used to be more obvious, I think, in the early 2000s. Because it was almost like when my opponent fired, I would just stop dead, and I would just be, did, 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 bang, and I would hit them beforehand. But you'll notice that in my games, when my opponent fires and they hit me for low damage or they, they miss, I don't fire right away. I take my time. I just kind of run in their face. I'm just really just get, and then just before they reload, I make my shot. I get the one shot. They're done. Yeah, and that, so for shots like that, I use the crosshair for. That works a lot more in Doom because you're so reliant on basically just the SSG. Whereas in in Quake, you have the weapon switch time to add to that. It's a lot more complicated. Also, so, you, you know your opponent's not going to jump, so you don't have to think about like vertical movement as much either. Yeah. In Quake, you would use this in Instagib, actually. Let's say you're just one-on-one Instagib with rail guns. They've just fired. You know, it's I think it's still 1,500 milliseconds, a second and a half reload. I, I, why fire right away? Just take the extra second, make sure you line up your shot, and just, just get the shot, right? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, because realistically, if both of us, if we fire instantly, you fire, I fire. Okay, 1,500 milliseconds later, you fire, I fire. It's still you, me, you, me. But... If you fire and I wait a th- you know a second and fire and then you fire kind of right after that and then I fire it's still you me you me except that I've got that extra bit of time that's elapsed to aim my shots more properly absolutely that actually brings back a memory that I have of when I first really got into playing quake and I I had the most horrible time getting a good grip on the railgun of anyone I've ever met like I I had played entire duels where people absolutely knew if they knew me at all, you're like, don't even worry about trying to get railed by him. Like you can, you could just do whatever you want. If he, all he has is a real gun, he's never going to hit you. It's just a guaranteed fact. <laughs> and what, what happened, what changed for me is I, I saw 40 lions. I want to say it is. And he was, he had this cross here on his screen. That was it like a giant circle, like a big, big Bertha circle. And people were asking him, like, why the hell would you use that thing? It's not even, like, how do you know where the center is? And he's like, if the opponent falls anywhere in that circle, it's worth a shot. So it just, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at that point, and I started training with that circle, and then I gravitated, you know, after I got used to that, I went back to a proper crosshair, but my, my real game has improved since then. And I think that actually makes a tremendous amount of sense, and I'm glad that you were able to put it into words, because I've, I've never really thought about it on that level. The other thing, too, of aiming is some people just focus really on moving the mouse to move the cursor to get the aim. I move the body position. I'd rather have my hand on the steady mouse, move my body, and just line up and shoot. And I do that in Doom a lot, too, where you you just strafe run into a person, and then once they're lined up, you fire. You don't even have to move the mouse, or you try to move the mouse as little as possible. Or let them. And I do that as quick too, right? Like if someone's higher than my crosshair, I'll tend to jump to make the shot or move back to make the shot than you know bother tilting up or tilting down. Right. And I and I think lining up shots like that rather than just point and click is kind of a an evolution of the aim, I guess I'd say, in gaming. Like the different ways people aim. Like there's some people that are very good at moving the mouse and clicking. Other people hate doing it and prefer to move the body positions. I mean, you have to kind of know your opponent and what you're safer doing because some people are going to just be robots and hit you. But when I think about it, my my keyboard hand is always steady. It's not ever going to, I'm not moving my body because I'm moving my keyboard hand. Whereas if you're, you know, every time you move your arm, you are shifting your posture in some way and that can impact your entire game. So yeah, if you, 
you're, you would be inclined if you're a low sensitivity player, if you move your arm more than with your mouse hand than you do with your left hand, which is just sitting on your keyboard, your arm's not moving. You're not changing your posture like you would be if you're over here jerking your arm around. And if your shoulder comes into it at all, then it could throw you off even more. And you're using energy in your body that could otherwise be getting utilized in your brain to think about how you're going to play. Yeah, and I think there's a a balance, right? Uh, Right. Too high sense versus too low sense versus the energy used versus the ability to aim properly with higher low sense. Uh, I used to use an extremely high mouse sensitivity in Doom, which worked for Doom. And I've slowed it down to improve slightly. And then I slowed it down again when I started playing Quake. Yeah. Because with the up and down, and I actually changed my mouse grip when I play Quake, funny enough, to aim up and down. Because I mostly a wrist player, and I used to play at 2 centimeters per 360 in Doom. And I played that way for 8 years. And then I lowered it to, I think, about 7 or 8 centimeters per 360 to make a few improvements. But you couldn't possibly play Quake at that that highest sensitivity. So I've kind of chosen the middle ground. I'm Right now I'm at 16 centimeters per 360, so I can play Doom and play Quake at the same sensitivity. Interesting. I don't know. I've always kind of just dialed it in as I played a game. I've never actually gone through the trouble of doing the math to figure out, like, oh, yeah, I could just do the same for every game. I don't know. Well, the problem is, if I'm playing Doom competitively, I don't want to play Quake, which is completely different mouth sensitive, because when I go back to Doom, I need to relearn that muscle memory again, right. or I'm overwriting my muscle memory. The other fact, too, is because I want to play Quake a bit better, I can hone in a sensitivity on Doom, and then when I go to any other game, I just I just know, oh, I need to turn this way or turn that way. And it's just the same. It's something I've done for 18 years versus learning something brand new from scratch. Again, muscle memory that just happens in the subconscious mind. Yeah. No, I really, I've totally enjoyed the way that you think all this through, man. Like, I feel like a lot of people that struggle, it's because they don't either have the exposure or have the, you know, capacity to just think about this stuff ahead of time. Me included. It's, um, so. It takes it takes time to improve at anything, right? Like yeah. no one sits down at a piano and becomes a concert pianist. No one uh, picks up a guitar and becomes a concert level guitar player. No one sits down at a chessboard and is a grandmaster. And no one sits down and picks up Quake and is one of the top players in the world or any any video game. It takes time and effort. You come into a game maybe at different levels and everyone has different talent abilities, but you still have to figure out like what's my path to improvement. And some people just keep playing over and over and over and over again. It's like, well, I don't know why I don't improve. I play this every day. Okay. Well, if you're just training yourself and practicing the same mistakes over and over and over again, you're not going to improve. Sure, you may get better at moving, you may get better at aiming, but your gameplay is not going to improve. But if you sit down and start you know, comparing how you play versus top players, watching recordings, watching demos, talking to other players, you start to realize and fix your mistakes. I actually tell this to my chess students over and over. So let's say you are a player that has a thousand weaknesses. Okay? If you can fix two of them, you're a player that now has 998 weaknesses instead of 1,000. You must be a better player. So if, even if you can narrow in on one or two or three things that you do wrong and fix them, you've now fixed some of your weaknesses. You become a stronger player. Not every weakness you improve may impact your score every single game, but the more and more weaknesses or mistakes that you remove from your game, the stronger you become, and you'll start to realize that consistency. And that, that spectrum actually is a sliding scale because at the lower end of, you know, people who are just starting out or, or bad, I mean, I, I hope that no one takes that as like, I'm saying they're, oh, you're just awful because you're new. But 
if you are either new or just bad, people start to think about, okay, like, what am I good at? And it's a list of things that they can do or, you know, whereas when you get to a higher skill level and you'll see this with like player, players like Rafa is notorious for just telling people what they're doing wrong. And just like, just this, don't ever do that again. Fix it. And because at the higher level, there are so much less mistakes that people make. You don't, you're not making a lot of mistakes. So it's easier to point out the mistakes where, and some players will take that as like an offense when they get a, a higher level person telling them what they're doing because they just tell them you're doing this wrong. And then they take that as an insult and it scares people away from playing. Yeah. I mean, you, if you're serious about improving and working on your game, having someone like Rafa tell you what you're doing wrong is great. I wish Rafa would come. Hey, Rafa, if you're listening to this, come tell me everything I'm doing wrong. Give me a list of 50 things and I'll work on those 50 things. Oh, best day of my life. <laughs> was, I would exactly. just follow me around, like walk a little straighter, stand up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> be a little more confident one thing that's interesting about that about making mistakes or not so i'm trying to think of a good example i'm trying to think of a quake example funny enough um okay let's say you know at the start of uh campgrounds dm6 i guess yeah yeah yeah. so i'm thinking quake live here i'm not thinking blood covenant i'm thinking thinking quake champions like you spawn at lightning gun you know your ideal situation is generally grab lightning gun grab mega go up grab rocket launcher you're supposed to run over and take a few pot shots out at the mega armor generally or red armor sorry and let's say you're too slow to do that or you just don't have the skill level to do that play but you know it's the right play a lot of people say i don't got the skill level to do that Therefore, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to do something different. I think that's the wrong take. I think you need to do make the play and get better at making the play. You shouldn't choose not to make the right play because you don't believe you have the ability or don't have the ability. You need to continually make the right play and then get better at your abilities. So when I'm reviewing some of my demos when I was playing a bit of Quake Live, I would actively think, like, was this the right situation or not? Because a lot of people are... This is a term you get from poker. Results-oriented. I died in this situation, therefore it must have been wrong. Not necessarily. You might have played it terribly, but the decision might have been correct to take a certain battle. So you take this fight, and you lose. And you've got to be really honest with yourself to say, well, was that the right decision or was that not the right decision? And you need to do it on both sides. To say, you know you know what? I made the right decision. It was the right play to make in this situation. But the guy out LG'd me and I died. Okay, fine but you made the right decision. On the other reverse, you jump down and you won the battle. You still have to be honest with yourself. Oh, that really was the wrong decision, but I happened to get out of it through my aim. Okay, stop doing that. Don't do that anymore. Even though you got away with it and you won that situation, if you know that it's not the right thing to do, I bet you if you actually counted it, you lose more in that situation than you ever gain. Most people, when they successfully kill their opponent consider that i did exactly the right thing though there you have to have almost 90 percent of the time you have to have someone else point that out to you like hey man that was really good i'm glad that worked out for you but maybe that was yeah an incorrect choice uh, since we're talking about dm6 another perfect example is oftentimes you will see players end up fighting there'll be one at mega health and there will be one on the bridge who's either teleported in or walked across where the rocket is into that room. And you can't get to Mega before your opponent. You already see him going up the jumper. He's going to take the Mega health. 
you can't regain control of the mega health until the next go around. But what you can do at that point is try to get a rail in, or if you suck at rails like I do, break out the machine gun and do as much damage as humanly possible while they're in the air. Because they're very unlikely to shoot you back at that point, and then you have the ability to, okay, I've negated their, you know, their power up. They're they're no longer going to have the effect of that item. You don't even have to finish the fight there, and a lot of people will try to. What you do is you go back through rocket, you drop, and you take armor again when it respawns, and they don't have time to get back there before you. At that point, they have to try to engage you at some point or evade entirely. So they could only be in a couple of different places. This is something I really liked about the Doom Bible because you drew diagrams of like Duango maps where it's like, this is, if, if this, then you should be here. And if he backs up to this position, now you've trapped him. Like, which comes from, I think from your chess background, I would have to assume. Yeah, that's the, um, the hallway battles. Right. Which, um, actually does play into D5M1. It was actually made for map one the original map one, but it's right. the same hallway situation. But yeah, those hallway battles were very technical of how to do them, how to place your shots. And if you watch me practice or warm up at uh, QuakeCon, I actually run around the map and I try to make those hallway shots just to make sure I got my angles on my mouse and my muscle memory is, is working well. Yeah, yeah th- I think I still whiffed it in one of the games against Jacus because I, th- I think... <laughs> <laughs> this is where it comes to. Jacus knows I practice these shots, and he knows he was in a spot where I it was my practice shot. So he ran, he crossed sides, which is normally no one would ever do. And I probably should have known that he knew that that uh, it was one of my practice spots and would probably do that. But anyhow, <laughs> it's always the best games to spectate are games between two people who know each other's gameplay intimately, even if they're not friends. Like you know, there's, there's classic like cooler and Rafa or, you know, you and Jaycast or anything like that, where you get to see, you see unorthodox play, not because these guys are making mistakes, but because they know that you're so well-trained, you're going to go for, you know, I'm going to shoot at this angle. As you just said, he knows, even if that's the right position to be in, technically don't be in that spot because you know how to hit him there. Yes. So it, it's really big theory that comes up actually. And I can't remember if I talked about this in the Bible or not, or I was going to make a YouTube video this but i mean i'm a firm believer that every situation has an optimal play in this exact situation there is one perfect play or one correct play and others that are not as correct however always making the correct play because you are now predictable makes it slightly less than optimal and i i think i once threw a percentages that you should do the optimal play like 60 percent of the time and the second best maybe 30 percent of the time and the other 10 percent you should throw some things around because having the surprise factor keeps your opponent guessing that's why we fire rockets around d5 and one i don't honestly think they're going to hit jacus but it's just the threat is uh way worse than the execution right it's that that constant thought in his head that geez what if he's about to fire a rocket right there that's it's what it's about and uh sometimes you know they whip around the corner and they they place their shot and shot a or shot or place b i'll stand right in the wall right beside them and they normally like so i think i one player one time i scared the shit out of him then he crossed he's like ah he's right there and he backed off and then i just went in and killed him but it's a dumb spot to sit but i only sit there one in every 100 times so you know get your one frag out of it and then just don't do it again for the rest yeah, of the get, game get them to assume yeah. you won't do that and then when they see you do it, then they try to catch you doing it again, and they get confused. And you're yeah. sometimes it's even a mind game of just making them again. We keep saying it: use more brain power than they <laughs> need to, because they'll start missing shots if someone gets confused and they have to like start actively thinking and adapting to a situation. 
a lot of people will like just get I'll do it all the time. I get off kilter because I'm having to rethink my entire like, okay, my habits are not working here. So I have to come up with a new plan. And that can take a while, especially on a small map. Yeah, tire the moat. And another good way to confuse your opponent too is uh, shifting the the pace of the game from really fast to really slow to really fast to really mm-hmm. slow. Because if you can really speed up on your opponent, get a good 3-4, and then they become ag- aggressive and you just slow right down, all of a sudden they're rushing into you because they still feel the game is fast-paced and aggressive. And now but you've already slowed down. You're just like, sweet, yeah, just keep running into me. Run into my shotguns. Run into my rockets. Come on, keep coming. And by the time they've noticed that you've slowed it down or you've changed, they've already given you four or five frags. So by able to change the pace of the game back and forth, speed up, slow down, speed up, slow down. That's a very important skill to have. So something that we see a lot in, especially arena first person shooters is you have two people that kind of join and start playing on raw talent, but they, they will not have any map knowledge whatsoever. Um, I'm curious for your opinion, like, cause you talk a lot about like preparation, execution, preparation, execution. If you put you and Jkist on a map that neither of you had ever seen before, Who's going to adapt faster? That's what I'm curious. Like, who who's going to figure it out faster? I think that is an that's tough to say because me and Jake is very just... very well leveled. Um, if I change your scenario down a bit and say throw myself or Jake, let's say you know a, a top level player with someone who's just below top level or someone who's above average. The top level player should still adapt to that map in situations faster than the other player, even if raw aim and skill are, are are roughly the same. The better player will tend to adapt to a map faster, and I think it's because they see more situations and because they're used to thinking at at that level. It's sort of so. A- I think as the game progresses, I think you'll notice one player start to play better than the other. Um, I have an example of this. I don't have a demo of it, but I played a map against somebody in Xandra. I think I was Alias. I can't remember. I think I was Alias. Maybe I wasn't. And we played a map that obviously they've played before and they know the map, and I've never even seen the map before. So, you know, we started out like, I think they were beating me like 10 nothing, And then it was like 20 to 5. And anyhow, I ended up winning the game 50 to 40 or 45 because as the game is going on, I'm learning things, picking up things like, oh, okay, this is working, this isn't. And all of a sudden, I'm starting to take control of the map, know where the spawns are, and, and all of those things. So I think the higher level player will do that. If you throw me and Jacob in a random map, I think it's going to depend on the pace of the map. Yeah. Because I think, I think while we're very equal leveled right now, I, I think I'm maybe aiming slightly better, but his his control game is is slightly better. So if it's a slower map, he'd probably have an edge. If it's a faster, more hectic aim based map, I might have an edge. Right now, it is a it is a kind of a, a trap question because yeah, does the map favor your skill set or his skill set? There's so many. There's always more to the to the nuanced questions that get asked like that. So, what what where did your Doom journey begin? Oh, I, I kind of knew this question was going to happen. I mean, it has it's to. funny because yeah. I was actually going to uh, touch base on this a, a little bit when you talked about, you know, players who come into a game that is um, that are bad at the game. <laughs> and I was I was atrocious, absolutely <laughs> atrocious. Like if you had looked at me at the beginning, you would say, don't put any effort into that guy. He is so worthless. Like it just don't waste your time. Like, yeah. OK, so you want my my doom journey? 
When did I first see Doom? Wow. So I never had a computer growing up. I did play video games. I played regular Nintendo, Super Nintendo. My uh, mother was the manager of a, a video store. So from like age three, or well, actually two, two, two and a half, I mean, I was playing video games, regular Nintendo. And I had a, oh, sorry, for, for younger people who may not know this, you used to go to a store to rent video games and rent movies. So I had my pick of any video game in this store that I wanted to play, and I would sit there and play it. So I was playing video games, Super Mario Brothers, from, from a very early age. And I got into um, RPG games on Super Nintendo and yada, yada, yada. And on N64, because I was a fan of uh, James Bond, me and my friends used to play a lot of Goldeneye and Perfect Dark. And um, uh, shout out to my best friends, of course, uh, uh, Rory, Chris, and Danny, who played. And of course, Mayo, wow. we never got to play Goldeneye together. These but are some those Scottish guys, names. We, uh, <laughs> we, um, so we used to play Goldeneye a lot together. Yeah. And of course, I was the, the slightly better player. Actually, I'll throw... Um, Adam Shoup in there as well. He was a really strong player. And we used to play, and I, w- I was kind of better. So that was, I really enjoyed first-person shooters. I guess it would have been when Star Wars had come out. 97, maybe a little bit. I'm trying to think of what oh, okay. I was trying to, like, so, man, you're not that old. Jesus Christ. No, 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 no. The, sorry, the, the remaster. Yeah, 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 no, the, or, My, no, no, no. Was, Phantom Menace. No, no, the the... The special editions, the '97 one. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah I have. That. So I was at my 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 cousin's house, and her boyfriend. There was two games. One was Doom that he had shown me. So that was my first time seeing Doom. So it would have been around '96. And X Wing vs Tie Fighter. And liking Star Wars, I really liked X Wing vs Tie Fighter. And so. I never had a computer, so I never really got to play them unless I went over to to their place, which wasn't very often. On the other side, in elementary school, I had a friend who did have a computer. And we used to go to his place, and we used to play, lo and behold, Doom. I used to love it. He used to see Doom. Um, His name was uh, Mike. And uh, we used to play where one player had the joystick and the other person used the keyboard. So we kind of like co-opted together as a single thing. So one of us would be using the joystick and shooting while the other player was like moving the body of the yeah. guy. So I used to enjoy that. And in grade eight, just before I got my own computer, our uh, teacher, Mr. Boudreaux had a 486 in the classroom. And if you were done your work early, he'd let you go use the 486. So I used to zip through all my work, which is a chore because I'm good at math. English and social studies, I hate those subjects. This is probably like my best year of ever doing those subjects. And I actually completed all of um, Doom 1, for violence, on the 486 in class time. So when I finally got my computer, it was a 486. Someone had given it to me. And I didn't know anything about computers at this time. And uh, the first thing I did, because it had a floppy drive, there was no CD-ROM. It was a 486 33 megahertz SX. <laughs> <laughs> this is in the year 2000, by the way. I was five years old. Oh yeah, yeah. So I was I was 14. So for this was a old old computer even for that time. So yeah. I'm calling up all the computer shops in the area. Do you have Doom 2 on floppy disk? They're laughing me off the phone. <laughs> like nobody has like get a CD-ROM, kid. So anyhow, once we realized that the 486 was not very good, my first computer was a Pentium 120, and the first two games I went out and bought. Doom 2, X-Wing vs. TIE Fighter. Now, being of competitive nature, 
I looked for places to play these games, and I got involved in the X-Wing vs. TIE Fighter community. So that was my first competitive uh, community I got involved in. Which is also a first-person shooter, yeah? like if, cause uh, Fight Simulator. Well, but, yeah, but you're flying, but when you're you're in the cockpit of the plane, you are shooting. I mean, if you think about yes, it. Yes, I suppose that's true. And if yeah, you think about the infinite space around you as an arena, I mean, we could really tie this in. This you, might be a new thing. You're right. <laughs> you're you're right. Ki- kind of, yes. I mean, you're not. You, you don't have free movement. I mean, you got to plane moves or whatever. And, uh, <laughs> so I got involved in that community, and we used to play on Zone.com. And um, so I'd been competing, and I wasn't very good. I was, I was okay. Not very good. It was pretty bad. But I started my own clan. So one time, I was just roaming around zone.com. And I swear this is my, my doom story. We're getting there. Trust me. Oh, You're probably going to edit this out. It's so long. So we used to go around zone.com, and, you know, I used to play a bit of Warcraft too. We, me and my friends like Warcraft. And uh, I saw this weird spot on Zone.com, like IPX, SPX, or, like, or whatever. I was like, what's the IPX? And I go, and there's like nobody there. And there's this one guy there, like NCDS. And I'm like, huh. I was like, what do you do here anyway? Like, what is this? And when you launch a game, because usually in Zone, you're next to me for you click launch game, it just launches the game. So we're on Zone.com, and he's like, oh. Well, you can play Doom and stuff. You're like, oh, okay, let's I'd love to. Let's play some Doom. So, of course, you know, we launch, and I'm expecting it to launch Doom. And, of course, it just launched this black screen, like a DOS screen. I, I, I used a 486, so I knew DOS really well. And I'm like, what the hell? I'm like, why did it launch DOS? He goes, oh, you got to, like, manually join. I'm like, oh. He's like, wait, do you have Doom too? I'm like, no. <laughs> so, anyhow, NCDS gave me Doom 2.1. And um, I later paid for it. Don't worry, don't worry. I later paid for it. I have a, I have a copy. So, and he he taught me how to join a Doom a Doom Two server. Okay, cool. Because I, I played a bit of Doom Two at my my friend's place, but uh, not on my computer or vice versa, something like that. And we always played Doom One. And we got into the game, and it was Map One. Oh, okay, cool, cool, cool. And he beats me fifty to two. That's pretty bad. 50 to 2. And I remember, I was like, there were some weird things that happened in that game. Because remember, I didn't know how BFG worked. I'm like, there's, I was like, and anyhow, he showed me, he sent me a demo to watch. He taught me how to like load demos. Oh, cool. And I, and then I saw this weird stuff that him and his brother Esox were doing with the BFG. And he explained it. I found out how the BFG worked. But anyhow, he would beat me around 50 to 2. And then a month later, I ran into this guy on Zone. So now I know how to launch a Doom game. I'm like, sweet, you can play Doom online? Like, this is awesome. And I found this guy, uh, Beefy Snack. His name was Beefy Snack. And uh, we loaded, we played Map 1. We had agreed we would play Map 1. And he beats me in Map 1, 50 to negative 2. I killed myself twice. That's the best I could do against this guy. And uh, it was just... uh, it was crazy. I'm just like, wow, like these guys are so good. And then I just, I asked him, I said, can you teach me how to play? And he said, sure, I'll help you. Anyhow, turns out that this guy was Dominus, the Dominus, who at the time was one of the strongest players in North America. And he taught me how to play Doom. And the first thing he did is like, do you use a mouse? I'm like, no, I use keyboard only. He goes, use a mouse. So I copied his configuration and we did a bunch of stuff and we actually 
played and practiced. I think we were playing uh, four to five hours a night all summer. And then I got introduced to the nightmare community and uh, just kind of went from there. So this was in 2001. But the most important thing Dominus taught me was nothing to do with doom, really. But it was how to think, how to learn, how to improve. Of watching other players' games, looking at what they're doing. Reviewing your own games, looking at what you're doing differently than they are. And comparing the skill set and practicing. So practice, learn, review, all of that thing. And I actually applied it to X-Wing vs. TIE Fighter and everything else I've done, including including chess. So that's the one thing I'm very thankful for Dominus for. He he solidified a method of thinking and improvement that I've taken and used in, in other things. That was one of the things about you that really made me want to talk to you is when we were standing there. By the way, if anyone listening to this doesn't hasn't figured this out, Devastation, Triple Crown, Doom 2 winner at QuakeCon 2019, all the way, which was amazing. But one of the coolest things that you did the whole time that I was hanging out with you guys was after you won, I think it was two V2s, two of the other competitors were like these teenage boys, and you walked up to them afterwards and you shook their hand and then you just started giving them tips. You didn't like, you were so respectful and you're just like, Hey, you guys know, like you can strafe run and all this kind of thing. And I was like, man, this guy is just to have someone who's a top player and is also willing to teach is so valuable to this community in general. Like you can't, if we don't have that, we really have nothing. The legacy won't go on. That that's true. I will edit your story slightly there. They actually asked me something about doom first. I usually don't come out just saying, Hey, here's things to do differently or whatever without getting a, because as you said, some people take offense to that, and I've learned to to back off that when I think I'm helping somebody, they take it as an insult. Yeah. So, so I usually kind of gauge it, and they they uh, they had asked me, they're like, okay, wait, this is what uh, this I think it was Sino who said he he said, okay, can you confirm for me like moving sideways or diagonally is faster, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's one of those things that you know I get excited about helping somebody or teaching because you know what. If it wasn't for Dominus saying yes, I'll teach you how to play, I probably would be nobody in video games. And it's one of those things of paying it forward as well, yeah. right? Like I've benefited from someone willing to show me and 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 write and teach me things. And I think it's important for the people who are strong players to to pass on their knowledge of the game as well. So you know, I've made the guide in order to teach people. I've made some YouTube videos in order to help teach some people. I've taken some people aside and taught them how how to play. Who asked me to 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 progress the the skill level, right? Because it, it keeps the game competitive. It keeps more people in the game. Like It's not a secret how we play. And um, I think a lot of top players in various games are very open like that, actually. I mean, I've had um, a conversation with uh, Raph on stage at QuakeCon 2013, actually. He yeah. was preparing for the Quake Finals. I was preparing for the Doom Finals. And we had a conversation. And I've talked to a few other people from the Quake community. And I, most of them are, are very willing to share that knowledge. And I think it's important for our community to share that knowledge. And I've always been a bit of um, a, a there's many people who think I'm an asshole. And it's because they see some of the things I do without the full context. And when I join a server and somebody's bad mouthing a bad player and telling them that they're, you know, that, oh, you're shit, you shouldn't play, it pisses me off. So I do the same thing back to the abuser and basically go, look, how has it feel? Right? Yeah, because I think we need to take those people instead of scaring them away. You suck it out of here. Like, why? Why? Why do we try to scare away all the new blood? Like, no, you know what? We want you here. We're willing to help you. Like, come on, let's show you how this is played. 
Otherwise, your community dies. You're left with ten people who don't play. Reach it, father. Or, sorry, you've got you've got only ten people that play, and and then they wonder why their games die. Like we we need to be friendly. I don't agree with dumbing the game down and making, but I do agree with teaching new players. Like make giving them resources so that they can they can learn how to play. Absolutely, because that's how you keep the people who want to learn. Like if Dominus said no, to, I'm a person who is willing to learn. If Dominus said no to me, I wouldn't have known where to turn. I would have been like, ah, you know, Doom was fun, but I'm going to go play this other game now. That is so huge. Like having a willing person teach you is like one of the. It's because most most guys, most people that play games are like young boys who feel like socially isolated, and they're looking for like an older role model even if they're not older, whatever, someone with a skill that they can pass on to you. And that mentorship is a huge part of development. I, I know you, you teach, you teach chess to children. Yes. Yes. Like that is such a big part of being a boy is mentorship and finding someone who's willing to pass skills along to you. That's far deeper than video games or the doom community or the quake community or anything like that. That That's like a soul level thing that people need or they're going to go nuts and we're going to end up with a, an anarchic society of, I don't know, like people who post shit gifts or whatever shit posting all over the <laughs> internet. <laughs> that, it's true. Don't forget. We want, uh, we want, we want uh, girls and females to play video games and, and chess. As 100%. Well, right? not, not just boys. <laughs> no, don't, don't get me wrong. I, I 100%. I want everyone to play these games. I'm just but saying also most of what you interact with or in your situation, in my situation, I can't speak for for girls, is what I'm saying. Yeah, and it's not even just about the game itself, but it's about the skills and abilities you learn that can be passed on to other things. So, I mean, I have a degree in information technology, and I'm an analyst by trade, which, lo and behold, is about analyzing a situation, figuring out problems, you know, and figuring out yeah. where you need to be and the, the path there. That's something you can learn from video games. It's something you can learn from chess. It's something you can learn from, from anything. It's actually quite funny at chess tournaments. Many of the parents come up to me and they're all like, oh, isn't it so good that they're here playing chess instead of playing video games? And uh, I was like, well, you know, you learn a lot of the same skills if you play video games correctly. Like, you know, and, uh, and I always say, you know, I also play video games competitively. So I also promote people playing video games. And they just kind of like look at me like, really? I'm like, yeah. Cause, and I think it's one of the things that's a generational gap where people are like, oh, they're just going around, you know, shooting or playing Mario is just silly. It's like, well, look at what the youth is doing. Like, okay, they beat the game. So what do they do? They're trying to beat it with dying less or they're trying to beat it by beating it faster. But how do you do that? You're improving yourself. You're improving your abilities in order to do that. You're learning. You're doing that whole, how do I make myself better? What are my problems? Where do I need to improve? Yeah, I think and I, I think that's a very important thing to teach, and it's a very important thing to have in life, to have that thought process, to be able to think, and also have the confidence that you can learn anything or do anything you want to do. What What's strange is that there's like a stigma on video games that doesn't exist. So if you're like a master chess player, I don't know any. I mean, if you're a master chess player or whatever, any, anyone would be like, oh, that's a perfectly valid like respectable intelligent thing everybody has like this air around chess like it's geniuses play chess uh the same thing applies to high level quake players and and to high level doom or any you know anything any, anything that you're doing at an extremely high level you have to be a hyper analytical person and you have to have discipline and that you have to be self you know self de- not deprecating this i want to try to say critical 
if you can't look at yourself and be like, I'm making mistakes and I need to fix these, and you will not get to that level. It's almost impossible. Yeah, I would say it almost is virtually impossible if you don't have... You may have some of that... You may not admit to it, or you may have some of that subconsciously and just not know it. But if you're improving at something, you're clearly identifying your weaknesses, getting rid of them, and at some level saying... Even if it's just natural, like, oh, geez, every time I do that, I seem to die. That sucks. Don't do that anymore. Yeah. But you, it still has – so it may not be as much conscious thought or effort, but to get to that level, you're definitely going through those evolution things. It's really funny that you bring that up about chess that, oh, geez, geniuses play chess. It actually hurts the game of chess, funny enough, because you ask tons of people if they play chess or not. They'll tell you, oh, no, I'm not smart enough for that because yeah. for some reason, they, they this, the aura is you need to be smart to play chess. Well, it's not necessarily true. Anyone can learn to play chess. It's just you perceive you want to play chess well. You do not think you have the intelligence to play chess well or the effort to put into playing chess well. So it's funny, um, at least in Nova Scotia, we're trying to really perpetuate that um, chess is for everybody, anybody. Everybody can play. And I'll always love this one. I'll ask somebody, do you know how to play chess? No, no, I don't know how to play at all. I mean, I know how the pieces move, but it was like, okay, you know how to play but you perceive playing chess as playing chess well. Or you think when someone says, do you play chess, are you good at chess? There's a difference. And there's so many people that actually play chess, but they won't come out to any kind of club or event or whatever. Right. And maybe it's because chess is seen as intellectual and they feel that if they lose a chess, people think they're not smart or not an intellect. So you're right that chess has that aura or that stereotype of being intelligent in video games doesn't but it's funny how that also hurts the game as well that's totally true but in the opposite kind of standard applies to video games because everyone thinks they can play video games like oh it's easy you just run and you shoot and then you get these people that come in and then you're like hey can i you try to be cool about it like may i offer you some help or may I, may i take you to a private server and give you some like tips because i saw a guy god bless him man it was warfork we were playing and he got mowed down like 50 to negative four or something like that and and i'm like i've been there before i get that so i was just trying to be cool and be like hey man if you're if you're like not happy about what's going on right now don't be discouraged by that i'm more than happy to like take you aside and kind of give you some pointers and his mindset was like no i just need to keep doing it over and over again and then i'll get good and for some people that's true but I I don't know. It's such a balance. Like so for me, I get I get that with um learning maps. I don't really do well with um just kind of picking up maps on the fly. I need to spend time alone bouncing around a map and just kind of like okay, here's the armor. There's that. And this I can make yeah. this jump. You know that that I for do me it is the worser way. The worser way. I watch. I'll, yeah, the worser way is you watch somebody else play the map a bit and go oh, okay, and then you just jump in the games and play it. It's funny in Quake Champions, I think when I was doing my, I only did this the other week, I was doing like my 10 provisional games to get a rating or whatever. So, of course, I just always picked like Blood Covenant and Blood, because I know those maps quite well from, from Quake Live. Right. I think I ended up at an SR like 1800. Well, okay, then I started playing all the new maps. I'm at like 1550 or something. It's like, yeah, I suck at these maps. And it's a, it's a, pos, it's a positioning thing. I mean, it's the same aim. It's the same everything else. It's just, I don't know the map. I don't know where I'm supposed to stand. I don't know where, I don't know where you're going. Cause I don't know what the map is, but uh, yeah, you, I think there's two levels, I guess you bounce around the map yourself just to learn the layout. And then once you start playing it, you go, Oh yeah, that's uh, that's not a good idea. I don't, I should not stand. You put it into practicality. It's a bit different. There's that one quake champions map. And uh, what is it? There's, um, 
it's in like this little circle area. There's a rocket launcher there, and there's like a a pedway. Oh, it's the one. Is it lockbox? There's a there's yeah. a teleporter with the armor and this little th- this little the yes the box or whatever. Yeah. Okay. So I thought that map was huge, and now that I've played it, it must be really small because I swear my opponent is in my face like every three seconds every time I spawn. <laughs> And I've taken a few wrong routes accidentally, and I'm like, well, I got to me- from Mega Armor to health in like one and a half seconds? Like, what? Yeah, so that's a map I need. There must be some vertical thing with the teleporters that I just do not get. But it appeared to be a big map, but I think it's actually really small. That actually brought back an, another one of those uh, breaking your own habits things. So I played Quake Champions well before I ever touched Quake World, and I got really used to Blood Run. And then I went back to Quake World and I started the first time I was like Blood Run on Quake World ZTN DM3 is virtually the same map except for one small problem. I I got in there and I was I was like, I'm gonna kick this guy's ass. And I was like, where is the fucking mega health? I can't find it because it's it's underneath it's it's not yeah. out in the hallway, it's underneath uh where the teleporter goes up to red armor or or nail gun room, depending on which way you turn. And that that kind of stuff is just so flabbergasting. I'm like, oh no, just like one subtle little change. Like the most important item on the map is just gone now. <sighs> yeah, that's funny. And um, I'm trying to think of Arrowwalk was slightly different as well. Oh yeah, so because yeah, Arrowwalk in if you transition from Quake, actually just straight from Quake to Quake Two to Quake Live, there there are differences in that there are no jump pads in the first in the original. Or I shouldn't say the original; it was ported back. But if you're used to Quake World Airwalk, you will not be going up the jump pad that you that you get on Quake Live and Quake Three, Quake Two. Yes, that's a difference. Uh, there's a couple other ones. Yeah. What else comes to mind about it? I didn't know there was an Airwalk for Quake Two. Oh yeah, it's fun. It's really fun. Yeah, no, you're right. Quake Two. I like it in Quake World. Put the railgun on somebody, just max them out. It's fun. Arrowlock always reminds me of Judas. It's got that same kind of vertical style and kind of crazy fast at some spots. I I love... I hated Arrowlock the first 400 times I played it, and then like 401 times I, like, I finally got it. I'm like, no, this is a great map. This truly is a fantastic map. But it's it's one of those maps where you're, if your opponent is better than you, they know every nook and cranny. It's a small map. It's so simple to just, if you know where people move through to place your rockets, you don't, in Quake World, especially the explosion is so big that you don't even have to hit them. You just have to know what corner to shoot when they're walking past it. And it can (laughs) screw their whole game up. You can spawn frag over and over and over again. But that's a, that comes with skill and time that I still don't possess and probably never will. Anyway, I think we were talking about chess still and then we got on a tangent so i why were we talking about chess again you you, so you teach chess to to children i wanted to tie this back in this is like a multi-layered tangent that we're we've gone on here so when you teach chess to to young boys and girls we we talked earlier a little bit about how if you know if we put you and jkist on a, a new map together how would they figure it out or you and a slightly lower tiered player and you, you're like, well, because of the wisdom that I've I've gained through playing this game, I would probably be able to adapt to it better. And then you prove that. 
what I'm curious about is, do you think that the the malleability of a young mind, their ability to figure out new things that that your you know your wisdom has not gained you, you know that you haven't actually ever seen this happen before? Does that ever happen to you? In Doom? Well, in any game, I was talking about chess, but it, yeah, of course in Doom. Have you? Do you ever see a new player come in and make a mistake that actually turns out like, why haven't we been doing that for 20 years? Does that ever happen? Or has everything already been done? Everything that can be done has already been done before? I don't think everything's been done that has been done before, because maps do and continually evolve as new people put effort into them. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say someone comes in and like in in a course of one game would figure out something like that. No, no I don't no. think that would ever a young happen. player. But um, yeah, I think Judas is the the map in Doom that's been broken. I should say broken, but has been improved upon more and more and more. And so even in the late two, it was it was like Judas was the map that people could improve on. Right. So you know, early two thousands, you know, we got me Ocelot Sedlow. We're playing a very ha- fast and hectic Ocelot. Played a little bit slower. But it was still very basic stuff, and we weren't really using the lifts as much. And it was players like Vampy and Metalhead and a few others that really started to take Judas in another level. And so much so that, you know, we really feared playing these new players in Judas <laughs> because it was definitely their their map. And we definitely had to a- a- adapt and figure out um, why what they're doing is working. And then make it into a theory and then figure out how to take advantage of it better. Right? And then even more recently, I think Judas took another big jump with um, with with Demon Sphere, actually. Demon Sphere after QuakeCon 2013 took Judas in a whole new level. And he was doing some crazy stuff that no one's ever done before or thought possible with the, the teleporter. And uh, that really became his map. And uh, it was um, brought to a to a to a new level once again. So I definitely think there are people that, when they dedicate themselves to a specific map and figuring things out and play test more often, that they will eventually find these little things or improvements or, or fixes to make. There's there's always got to be a first time someone figured something out. Every technique that we like wall running or strafe walking, strafe running, uh, sw- even switch strafing. The, I mean, whoever is the first guy in Quake 2 that after, the, you know, they're playing the game, everybody's having a good time with it, and then he realized, like, wait. And then he, like, figured out strafe jumping and then revolutionized Quake forever. At that, like, at, at some point that happened. It's yes. probably Thresh. <sighs> so, um, yeah, I think I think so. I, I think definitely there's more to be done. Mm-hmm. And um, as different maps get played. So I think there's an evolution of maps. The first time maps are played, it generally is a super shotgun kind of slugfest, really. Because that's what everyone goes back. That's back to basics. Grab a super shotgun and blast the other guy and play decently aggressive. And it evolves a little bit. Maybe people are playing a little bit slower. So they know when to rush, when not to rush, when it's preferable to have your opponent rush into you. And then as a map evolves even more, you start to realize how other weapons can be used. Like, oh, when can I use a rocket launcher? When can I use a shotgun? You know, when should I use the BFG? What are my BFG angles? And then the, as the maps get played more and more and more, you just see that evolution of theory. And it becomes even more complex when you start playing team games as well. Like, you know, you, you get used to Doom or duels and you're like, okay, I depend on myself and I know what I'm supposed to do. But then when you're trying to communicate with another person and you know that there's also two people bouncing around the map or four or whatever it happens to be, CTF, even 
even more vastly different. Three wave CTF. I don't. I mean, I still don't understand how they do that. But yeah. CTF has evolved a lot. Funny yeah. enough, when CTF was first released, me and it's probably public knowledge, but I'll just keep it that two other undisclosed players. One of them is another top player, and the other person was an average player. Um, we decided CTF was released, and we said, "Oh, let's." The three of us were going to play CT three on three CTF, and I sat down and I did all the 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 theory of this, and I still have the original pictures of breaking the map into zones, and we had certain callouts that we would use. The theory was very 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 simple. Mm-hmm. Communications was not for trash or any kind of misinformation. You needed to get the signal to the other player as fast as possible without mincing words. So we created a zone system. So what we had done, and CDF has evolved way, way beyond, but the start of active communication. So every pathway on a map had a letter. So path A versus path B versus path C, etc. And then there was a number attached to it. So one is closest to your base, two is the middle portion, and three is their base. So A1 was path A within your base. A2 was path A in the middle. A3 was path A on their base. And then we had a few keywords. Incoming, when people were, enemies were coming into our base. Um, Outgoing, meant that they had the flag, and that's where they were going. And returning was, I had the flag, and that's the way I was coming back. So, communication was very simple. Incoming, A2, Two players are two incoming A2. Two players were incoming along A2. I immediately knew how many there were, where they were at, what they were doing. Returning B1 or returning B3. I've got the flag. I'm in zone B3. I'm this way and coming back. And outgoing was very simple. I say, uh, you know, outgoing C1. Great. I knew they had the flag. I knew they were still in C1. But it was getting the message to the other players as fast as possible without mincing words. So, you know, we weren't on comms going, oh, crap, they're doing this. or No, none of that. Here's your call out. We memorized. We took a, a day. We memorized all the zones. Everybody side out. And then we played. And I think it was about a year before we ever lost a game. No, absolutely. And um, you see the same yeah, thing. Just figuring out that, that theory. Same thing. Very basic things like, you know, having a defender versus an attacker, not just all three players running around a map. So... And now theories evolved so well that you really have evolved in terms of play styles. And I think the next evolution, it's kind of already there. And it's kind of been like that for a little while. There are certain players who are good at playing all positions. They're very dynamic. Very rare do you see many good players in CTF as only a defender. You're only a defender or you're only a mid player. Like you may have your strongest, but it's kind of a rotation. This person's attacking, you've got a mid and a defender, let's say. When the attacker dies, mid becomes the new O, defender moves up to the mid, and the guy who just spawned becomes the new defender. If you can rotate and swap like that, you are actually more efficient at um, keeping up the aggression. Because you don't have to wait for the spawn to get back to the area, for your, wait for your runner to spawn and get back to that area. You're, it's just constant pressure. So for the uh, opposing defenders, or the, it's almost like you're just constantly always in their face. That creates pressure. And then you eventually will, they'll crack under pressure eventually. And I think we'll see more and more of that. You do see some players that kind of specialize in like a, the forward position or human bones is like power bottom pretty much all the time. And yeah, (laughs) I'm just kidding. 
when uh when you when you play Blood Run, we already talked about that a bit as a two v two. You have the room where quad spawns. You can establish control of that room pretty effectively by just naming the doors because there's only three doors. There's only three ways your opponents can enter. So you have door one. For me, anyway, that's what I call it. This is the LG entrance. You have door two, which is coming from shotgun, red armor room. And then you have door three, which is a wider room here. You go past where the nail gun is, second room. And then behind that is where the teleporter exit is that goes out towards uh, red armor room or out to rockets. And if you, it, it's so much more effective, just like you said, instead of like, oh, crap, I he shot me. Ah, like, don't, we don't need that information. All we need is door one, door two, door three, so that we can get the, the quad damage. And then we can go on a rip and tear. But then in it, if you fail at that, I guess that your, your only real escape from a quad damage is to hide, <laughs> run away, tuck your tail, or, or try to execute some kind of like, all right, you distract him, I'll let him get a kill, and then I'll LG him in the back. We'll try to take the quad. But with teams, it's even worse because hopefully his teammate is there with you. And he's, his teammate's going to just LG you down well before you ever get to kill the quad and feed them all yeah. the power-ups. Yeah, keep it, keeping the communication short but effective is very important, right. too. I think, um, I can't remember if I was behind Rafa or I was watching his stream or one time. I remember they were playing Clan or This is back when they were doing Clan Arena. Man. And I, I remember in DM6, it's the first time I've ever heard the rail, you know, the like the ledge to the rail or whatever, mm-hmm. being called the banana. Yeah. Because it's the way it's curved, he called it the banana. It's the first time wow. I've ever heard it. From and so when he called it the banana, I just started laughing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love when they're silly names. It makes it even more fun. Yeah, I was always very technical. Like, let's say the first one was always letters and numbers, you know, A1 and this and that. And Now we've kind of gone through, uh, now when I play with a CTF team in Doom, it's kind of like, okay, what are we calling lower? What are we calling upper? What are we calling, like, what do we want to call this? Like, we usually just go around a map and like, does this make sense to everybody? Like, we need to be on the same page. Because if I'm calling it lower and you're calling it down or outer, like, we're just getting confused. Like, let's pick a word. Let's pick a thing. That, um... That happened a little bit funny enough in with me and Jay kissed in the, the two on two. I think we were getting confused when we said pillar room or BFG room or something or the upper or lower. And because uh, to me, lower and D5M1 is right outside the BFG area and upper is, you know, you know kind of goes up a little bit, you know, up by the rocket launcher there. So you'd say odor upper or down and he, he would always say something different. And we got slightly confused until we're like, all right, we need to figure this out. That's- now in two on two, for Doom, and this is what I uh, told Jake as we worked on a few things, and Doom Doom 2 on 2 is just too fast. And especially in the maps we played at QuakeCon, it's too fast to like really relay much. So it's like, okay, what's the most important thing to know? And it's around the game state. So when I'm playing, I know where my two opponents are, and I know where my ally is. Even if I don't see them, I'm hearing the shots, I know where they are. And I'm keeping track of what they're doing in my head by using the sounds. But when I hear somebody die to my left, I don't know whether it's my my ally or my... So I always said, the, when you die, the first thing you need to say is, I'm down or, or just down. We're down. Down, whatever. Because, oh, my opponent or my ally just died. I know it's a two-on-one. I'm going to change my position being prepared to be ganged two-on-one. Whereas if I hear the death sound and my ally does not say down, cool, I know my ally's on the side, I'll try to maneuver my opponent so my ally can come from the side. So keeping game state like that together. 
I thought was always the most important thing on comp. Makes perfect sense. In, in Doom, you're getting so fragged down so many more times to say like to call out your own position is almost ludicrous. Yes, yeah. you know, unless you're dominating. D five M one is possible because D five M one you can slow down. D five M seven SSL two would just be impossible. One thing that happens a lot in in Doom team games lately, I don't. I'm sure at some point in the recent past there were more established, consistent clans. Uh, what we're seeing in the NDF lately is a lot of draft cups for for these team games, and when I when I cast events, I really don't. I don't always want to do team games, and it's not because I'm adverse to team games. It's that they're less interesting when the teammates aren't, you know, in cohesion, and you get less interesting games. You you, you see what very quickly or, or this team has established a route of communication, and this team hasn't, and then that pretty much sums it up. I mean, skill does come into it as well, but it's not nearly as fun uh, as watching duelers because the duelers, first of all, it's easier to just switch back and forth between the two, memorize the item time. It's it's an easier time for a streamer or caster to deal with anyway, but that I'm willing to get past that. I really would like to see, I'm even for the idea of instead of having tournaments as events, let's like invite, like, okay, you have this amount of time, put together a clan, practice them up, you practice them up, and then we'll see who comes out on top. Because the tournament thing isn't working in the Doom community uh, currently for me. Uh, that's a that's a cool concept. I think things like the CTF Draft Leagues are good because you play one game a week sort of thing. So you've right. got the teams that are practicing together. So you do a draft. And then you're with that same team of people for six weeks or seven right. weeks or whatever, and you're practicing a map for a week. I still think you get interesting games. If you're going to do a draft thing for like a one day cup, you don't have enough time for the teammates to get to know each other. That's more what I'm talking about are the yeah. one day tournaments, not a series. Yeah. Yeah. No, one day tournaments, I think doing team things, unless it's, if it's a draft pick, it would be harder to do that way, I think. Yeah. No, you have a good point there. But, um, I don't know. I'm always going to lead towards towards tournaments, but uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to to you know do a draft thing, go away for two weeks, come back, and then this is your super match date or whatever, and yeah. that gets casted. That'd be kind of a cool. No, concept. no, that's a perfectly fine. I'm totally. I'm not saying do away with tournaments. That'd be insane. I'm saying what is more interesting for people. Like if you're trying, if I in my position, I'm like I want other people to see this game and think it's worth their time to do. So I want them to see this game in the best possible light. I don't want to cast an entire tournament and half the tournament is just like, all right, we're waiting on the teammate to get here. Uh, yeah, like, uh, yeah, okay, so they're they're running around the map now and it's 20 minutes later. It's like, all right, the map, match has started and then, you know, in the team that was already there and professional, they just wipe them out in five minutes and they get their 50 or 70 frags or whatever it is and all right, well, that was fun, folks. It's like, it's that's <laughs> to me, that's not advertising the game as as best as I can because I, I, my mission, or at least my personal like goal, is to do as much for the arena shooter community as I can, and in, in getting people interested in it, or at least providing a service to the people who are interested in it, and to, to hear from people like you that they otherwise. I would never get to have this conversation probably if I didn't do a podcast. This is just my excuse to be able to talk to really cool people like you. So not That's that cool. you wouldn't talk I to see- me. 
But I mean, like now have a reason to make you sit down for, we're at an hour, 13 minutes. So you can go whenever you want. That's good. Um, yeah, I see what you're saying about that in terms of casting the game. And you're right. You need people who are going to be there on time or professional. If you run a tournament, and you, even in the one-day cups, the later into the tournament you get, you're going to get the most interesting teams who are going to be there, know how to connect and on time. At the earlier ones, you you almost just need to say, okay, there's seven servers. Please, God. Oh, good. There's one server where both teams got there on time and go cast that game. That's probably one of the ways to avoid that whole 20-minute wait thing. Yeah. One of the best but, ways uh, that that we found. You have any more thought to that? Please add it. The the only other thing I was going to say is is Doom is really hard, especially in team games or TDM at least to do a play by play, and you've almost got to take it up a level and just kind of explain generically. Oh, this is what both sides are kind of doing around here, and this is what we should see in the next four to five frags. And oh, look, this is what a wall run is. And oh, for for Doom CTF, yeah. I want like the football camera view of it. That's what I really want. Is like, all right, we can. S- we're pointing out red teams making and, and do like a John Madden like drawing on the screen. All right, they're <laughs> they're doing the old Hail Mary here, like yeah, oh yeah, alpaca blue. I, con- yeah, like. I just picture that your your cast is like the Doom Two auto map with a little butt with like six <laughs> arrows moving around. Yes, this, what is this arrow has the fly? <laughs> no, trust me, we we've bounced being me and Space have bounced every idea possible off of that. Like, how how do we most effectively convey what's going on here? The first time I ever like looked at three way CTF was insane to me. I was like, I don't know how the hell we. I even put it on Chase Cam. I was like, just so I could see who had the flag. At least I would yeah. know that. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's tough. Doom is a, a very high speed game. But, you know, if you follow a player and you say, oh, this player is obviously playing mid in this situation. Oh, this person has the flag. Let's switch to the flag run. Because I think that's what, what spectators like to see. They want to see the flag run. You know, that's what they see. They they don't know all the or they don't need to know all the the ins and outs of how Doom is played. But they understand when that person touches this with the flag, it's the score. And then, so, oh, someone's got the flag. Let's kind of switch to them sort of thing. I'm 100% this is my last one and I'm done on the podcast talking about differences between doom ports. Cause I'm getting really tired of doing it. But what I am going to say is that the, the port that gives me the ability to hit a hotkey that goes to flag chase cam. I'm watching that. I'm using that one for a while, at least until something better comes along, because that's a big thing that we don't get is like proper spectator tools because you know, it just, so it's an older game. Which, which, which port allows you to do that? I don't know. I want one. Oh, is there Odemex one? does it. Odemex does? Yeah. Well, yeah, I've, I have a button when I'm casting. I've got a hotkey set up. I, I forget what I use. P or something that goes to the current flag carrier. I'm probably going to get a bunch of messages from different people from different ports after this. They're like, what the fuck, dude? We have yeah, I think we've always does. every every single one I'm, does. I'm pretty sure. No one you has made to buy it this. or whatever. Yeah. yeah. But um, I think, I can't remember if it was Zachin or somebody who had originally given me that way back. I used to just hit F12 so I get to the flag carrier, and then I found that I just press a single button and it automatically goes to it. Yeah, and I'm if two people have the flag, you press that button and it just flips between them. Oh, I need. Yeah, that it's actually really good. <laughs> I need. I need to get on that, man. It, yeah. But again, CTF Doom CTF totally new to me. I got to learn that. I got. I've got to really put some time into that because it's really exciting and really fun. But it it takes for me to be effective at what I'm doing. I need to learn the game. So I will. I don't want to. It's definitely good to go into a game and learn played, and it makes casting a lot easier if you know some of those um, mm-hmm. those things. 
No, it should. It's stupid for me. I, I should never have been there in the first place. It's just like I wanted to. Like I had just finished doing another tournament. And I was like, oh well, they're doing this. Maybe I can capture a little bit of it. Huge mistake. I. But you live and you learn. You you make mistakes and you learn from them, and that's what I'm doing continuously. Quake duels. I got that down. Like I, I can cast a quake duel any day of the week. But it's a it's a learning process. It's a skill just like learning how to play Doom or how to play Quake. Casting is not easy. And maybe I'll one day be good at it. Maybe I won't. Doesn't matter. But I'm getting better at this podcast, and that's what I really care about. So that's good. Do you have any uh, parting thoughts? Because I don't. I, we're, you're an hour twenty minutes in, man. I don't want to keep you up all night. No, that's okay. So I got a few more minutes. Is there anything else you want to cover or ask or anything? Not. I just kind of ramble about different things. Not particularly. Like I, I don't ever. I don't ever want to think about the podcast as like this interview process where I'm just like, I've prepared a list of questions that I would like to get through these topics with you. Like, I mean, sometimes I'll make a little list if it's someone that I've never met or, you know, anything like that, or just probably should touch these topics, but it's a conversation. And, and I think you've done an excellent job of just being conversational, uh, probably better yeah, than cool. me because I'm tired. <laughs> yeah, I'm a little tired. I say we get this hurricane coming tomorrow, so we'll see how that goes. <laughs> hey, if this is the last ever recording of <laughs> devastation, because, uh, Stupid Hurricane Dorian wipes out Nova Scotia. That, if I don't make it, tell my story. <laughs> it just blew my mind when he texted me that. You're, you're, he's for other people uh, joining in. Like I, at work, I'm a weather forecaster, and Dev knew that, so he's like, uh, he texted me like, "Hey, we maybe not be able to do it Saturday because this hurricane's going to smack into me." And I was like, "A hurricane in Nova Scotia? Are you crazy?" And then I went to work the next day and I started analyzing everything about it. I mean, we're watching a system that moves from Alberta through Montana all the way across the United States, joins with this stupid hurricane that's been sitting in the same place for like five days. And now it's going to be an extra tropical storm and smack you guys. It's going to be some pretty, it's going to get windy and rainy, but it, I don't, I really don't bank on it being a hurricane when it hits Nova Scotia, man. But I know, luck. man. So I keep track of these things using the National Hurricane Center, and I've tracked a bunch of them for the last ten years, and I have a decent sense of when they're accurate, when they're not accurate. And I, you know, that line is just narrowing in more and more. Great facts, and I'm pretty sure. Let's like say you're the weather guy. I understand this is your profession. I'm, I'm I expect not that it to good be. It. <laughs> I expect it to be a Category One storm when it hits. And probably after it makes landfall, it'll probably reduce to a tropical storm level. But the one thing that's surprising about this one is it seems to be moving. Originally, they forecasted to zip past Nova Scotia very quickly. But as you said, this hurricane's been fucking sitting in like one little goddamn location. South Carolina. And now it's slowed. One, it's slowed down now. And I'm anticipating. So I'm I'm doing the math. I mean, I'm looking. It's going to be just south of Yarmouth at like... Uh, 2 p.m. tomorrow afternoon and it's going to be like just north of cape breton at like 2 a.m sunday morning we are going to have 12 hours of wind like 12 hours of wind it's going to be weird it's it's going to it's going to be 12 hours from when we start feeling the front of the hurricane and 12 hours later we'll be just at the end of feeling the back of the hurricane and uh, i was around for hurricane one when it happened in 2003 so I, i don't expect it to be that bad of course but uh, I think it's going to be a um, a Category 1 when it hits, and then it will quickly reduce to a tropical storm. Do you have any final like closing thoughts that you want to say to anyone out there, people you want to plug, organizations that you work with that you want to say something about? 
I've already given a shout out to all my uh, my good friends, but I'll do it again just in case. But uh, you know, we got Rory and Chris and Danny and Mayo, um, or my my best friends. So shout out to you guys for playing video games with me, of course, and uh, teaching me some of these newer games like The Hunt Showdown and uh, PUBG and all that stuff. Which, uh, yeah, my Doom skills don't really correlate over to those very well, <laughs> but. But um, much like anything, and I think everyone can do this, you know, if you really want to get good at a game or get good at anything that you want to do, you can do it. You just need to make the active decision to start and then say, okay, well, how do I start? Where do I go? What do I do? And it's, you know, a thing of how do I improve myself? What am I doing wrong? What am I doing right? How do I minimize doing things wrong and maximize doing things right? Talk to some strong players. If you want to come play Doom, talk to the players. You want to go play Quake? Go talk to the players. There's a lot of people out there that are willing to to help and, and assist. And there's tons of information online now. There's tons of, of Twitch streams. There's tons of YouTube videos. It's all out there. You just have to actively go and make the decision. Um, I'm going to put a plug in for my uh, buddy who runs Trikin Studios, who, uh, very interestingly, makes kind of like mind puzzle game. And um, very interesting ones. He He made one that uh it's called omnicube and i love this game it's very simple it's a block sliding game you got like blue blocks and red blocks and different color blocks that you got to get into like the different colored exit and of course once you decide to move a block in a certain direction it keeps going until it hits something and you got to figure your your way out here and it's a it's an amazing game so check out triken studios kyle he's awesome and he makes games and he's a pretty good chess player he's not, you know it's not as good as me and our other buddy uh, zach burrows but, but he's a good chess player and uh, he he's brought that over to to game development, and I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you a really funny story because I promised I would tell Bring this it story. It it's on. a lesson learned about being a game developer. So he sends me a level because I was helping him play test this Omnicube, and he sends me this level, and he goes, "Ah, it's a pretty difficult one." And I'm at this for like you know thirty forty minutes or whatever, and I can't beat this level. And I said. Are you sure this is possible? He's laughing. He goes, <laughs> yeah, it's possible. Come on, man. I Trust me. They're all possible. Okay. So then I set out and about an hour, I make it, I make him an hour long video proving mathematically why the level is completely impossible to solve. Like there's no possible combination of moving the blocks. Like there's a way to exit all the blocks, but there's no way to possibly get them in that combination without getting another block stuck or something. And I mathematically prove it. I send him this video. And I get this message later, and he's just like, I am so sorry. Apparently what he did is he made one last tweak to the level and forgot to playtest it after his tweak. If you're a game developer, don't ever do that. Anytime you change something, you must playtest to make sure it's still beatable. So he apologized because he said, you are so ruthless. You don't admit defeat. He's like, you would have wasted tons of your time trying to figure this out but he said instead you somehow intuitively knew it was impossible and then went out to mathematically prove that it was impossible so this is kind of a funny story and i had to kind of get that jab in there with him you know don't make impossible levels but uh, no check out uh Triken studios no thank you man yeah That's, and check uh, out the multiplayer doom federation check out Odomex, check out zdm and check out xander and check it all out check out dusk world check out quake check out all these games they're all awesome they're all yeah. great and they They're have fantastic. very good communities. Fantastic. I really appreciate you, man. I hope to talk to you again pretty soon. Thanks, man. And uh, thanks for, uh, yeah, thanks for doing this and having me on. And hey, I'm willing. 
do the chat some other time again if we got other things to discuss. I mean, geez, we didn't even go down the route about aliens. We'll get there. Ha, 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 ha.